From the American Tobacco Historic District in downtown Durham, this is Due South on WUNC. I'm Leonida Inge. It's not easy standing on a stage, holding your head up high, and speaking your dreams. For many people, taking that step can open the door to success and even notoriety. Maybe you'll be crowned Miss North Carolina. I think the crown looks good. Take your first walk as Miss North Carolina, Rebecca Revels. Rebecca Revels won the Miss North Carolina pageant in 2002, but soon after, her life began to ravel. She would resign her position and then sue to try and win it back. It's been more than 20 years since that fight. Later this hour, we speak with Dr. Rebecca Revels-Lowry about how her life has changed since Miss North Carolina. But first, we take you to Rocky Mount, North Carolina, where a group of teenagers honor the life and legacy of the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. They put on their best suits and dresses, no sneakers allowed, and they walked up on the stage with their heads held high. Good morning. I'm contestant number one. Be true to the promise. This is America, a land built on the foundation of free labor and foul atrocities. Dr. King said, and I quote, it is obvious today that America has defaulted on the promissory note as far as the citizens of color are concerned. Today, we see that although black Americans make up only 13% of the US population, they are 37% of the prison population. There is something undeniably wrong in our country. We have to acknowledge that love and general peace do not emerge immediately. Thus, we have to work together through Rocky Mount, through North Carolina, and even the entire country. I am human. I cry the same tears as you. I sweat the same sweat as you, and I bleed the same blood as you. I'm not worth any less, nor the people of Palestine. So inspired by the words of Dr. King, I have a dream. A dream where we don't live in a world where every choice is made in the name of power, rather in the name of humanity. Thank you. This year marks the 36th annual Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. oratorical competition in Rocky Mount, believed to be the longest-running competition of its kind in the state, and it was a nail-biter. The voices you just heard were all high school students. The winner in this year's high school competition, 17-year-old Austin Burton, a senior at Rocky Mount High School. Austin says he would not consider himself a public speaker, but I beg to differ. My intention uh, when I started was to do um, something uh, a lot more aggressive, but when I started writing, it ended up being something that was more passive and a message for really our community and what I felt that we needed to do in order to continue moving towards uh, Martin Luther King's dream. I believe that we as a community should hold fast to the promises of equality. There are few places in this country where we are all truly equal. However, one of them is the voting booth. Our vote is our most important and dangerous weapons against those who come against us. Our vote is a promise that our voices will be heard. Voting changes our political system. The late John Lewis said, the vote is the most powerful nonviolent tool we have. This is Austin's fourth time competing in the MLK oratorical contest. Emma Regal is a 16-year-old sophomore at Northern Nash High School. She describes herself as shy and introvert. But with her parents' encouragement, she's entered this competition three times. 
But after I did it, I was glad that I did because I think every year that I have done it, I've improved and gained confidence in my public speaking abilities. And so I'm grateful for that. America was built upon promises that ring true and just, but have been silenced and stomped upon. My hope is one day we will hear our covenant song ringing throughout all the land for all to hear. I pray that we will all sing its melody, every race, gender, and age together in perfect unity. We know the promise that has been made, and it is the duty of us all to stay true to it. One nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you. Parents, family, friends, and community supporters cheered the students on last Saturday at the Imperial Center Theater in Rocky Mount. One of the biggest supporters in the crowd was middle school teacher Michael Parker, who is also chairman of the Martin Luther King Jr. Commission, which organizes the annual contest. Parker says the gathering means a lot to the community. It's very important to Rocky Mount because, first of all, Martin Luther King came here to Rocky Mount. So that's a um, landmark for him. And for us to be having this oratorical, have the kids involved, it's, it's his experience, great experience. You know, that when I heard about the oratorical contest um, and speeches, you know, being developed around um, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., I said, that's so old school. I said, that's so cool. Like, <laughs> like every community, right. just like every community today has a, MLK Boulevard, right, exactly. you know, but maybe some young people don't even know what that mm -hmm. is. But, you know, when you ask them to do a little research, have them develop a speech and offer a prize, right. you, you know, you're, you're teaching and you probably don't even know you're teaching. Exactly. Exactly. And this, I think that's the exciting part to get them to do the research. And I think when they start doing research, they find out, hey, this is cool, you know, and then they find out things they didn't know and don't know. So they can, you know, spread, you know, news about Martin Luther King. Now, was it anything that you learned um, listening to all these um, great speeches? Every year. I learned something every year, which I, I'm up on him anyway. So he was one of my icons, so I'm up on him. So, I mean, you learn something different that you miss, you know, but they'll bring it out in their speeches. Now, when I was listening to the speeches, I I heard some things that were, were it was a little unexpected, mm -hmm. uh, but I pleasantly surprised, like the emphasis on voting. Mm -hmm. um, I remember one young lady said, you can't just rely on social media. You know, black mm -hmm. isn't always trending. Mm -hmm. I mean, they just got down. They mm -hmm. just didn't mm -hmm. just quote the king, you know, and definitely the young lady from Palestine. Mm -hmm. oh, she yeah. brought it on home. Mm -hmm talking about, you know, her people and people peace and how Martin Luther King would not be happy with mm -hmm. the war that's going on now exactly. in that part of the world. Exactly. Um, it's, and it's another thing that I like, too. We have all nationality that participates. And so we learn from all cultures, not just African-American cultures. So we learn from all cultures. And when they hear their views and their points, because, see, like I said, Martin Luther King wasn't just not one person. He was for all. So I think it's that very exciting when they go deep into their speeches. One thing that I learned and noticed after speaking with some of the young people is that, oh, they've been preparing speeches. This isn't, isn't their first rodeo. Mm -hmm. They mm -hmm. are coming back year after mm -hmm. year, I guess almost until they get it right. It and, um, I mean, how, how do you feel about that? This is almost like a training ground, maybe for future leaders. Right. 
Exactly. And that's what it is. It's uh, get a lot of them out of their comfort zone. And that's why we, um, I love this um, oratory contest because the, like this, for this one, we had a lot of first timers and they really enjoyed it. Now they're talking about next year's speech. So um, then, like you say, we have some that came back that we say to keep going to they couldn't go until they get it right. So it's, it's a joy to see them come back to be a part of this oratory contest. I'm, this is one of my passions, really. What's some of the feedback that you hear from um, parents, you know, and family members? They probably didn't know their young ones had it in them, did they? That's the, that's the surprising point. When I went upstairs, because a parent did come to me and said, wow, I didn't know my son. He, he got all that bowed up in him, you know. But see, it gives the kids the time to express themselves, you know. And this research that they do, they do the research, it gives them to really see the walk that Martin Luther King did and what he was what he represented. And when they can come back and migrate and bring it to their level and present it, it's it's just powerful. It's just powerful to me. And the young people of the winners, they get to give this speech again. Yes. Mm-hmm. Our second place winners, um, they'll be going to um, church here in Rocky Mount. They have their um, celebration next Sunday, so they'll recite their speech there. But our first winner, first place winners, they'll uh, be on the 15th at our Martin Luther King breakfast. They'll be held here at the event center. When you think of this type of um, event and almost like pageantry. Yeah, exactly. And presentation. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess what could be better for young folks, huh? Couldn't be nothing better. Because to see them get in, into it and get excited about it, it just, thrills, it just thrills my heart to see that, you know, that they're passionate about what they're doing. And like some of them say they take time to do their speeches and that we, we train them before they come out. We have a, a rehearsal before the actual speech. Uh, they do deliver their speech. And so they practice it. And so we tell them what to do, how to prepare. And when they come out on stage, project when you come out on stage. So they did that very well today. I like looking at the sort of um, the to-do list um, <laughs> before making this presentation, you all were very clear, no jeans, mm-hmm. no tennis shoes, mm-hmm. you know, almost wear your best. Right. And I think it said practice, 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 practice. Practice, The main thing we do, that's main with that, and your best friend is your mirror. That's your best friend. Your mirror in your house is your best friend. And you can time yourself. Just time yourself to say, then you know you won't go over out here. So I, I tell them all the time, your mirror is your best friend. You can see how you're projecting and how you're presenting when you look in the mirror. Yeah, they look great. They did just what you said. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. Michael Parker is chairman of the Martin Luther King Jr. Commission in Rocky Mount. The students who won the MLK Oratorical Contest got a trophy and checks ranging from $125 to $175. Everybody got a certificate. My favorite quote would have to be, I'm trying to get the order right, if you can't fly, then run. If you can't run, then walk. If you can't walk, then crawl. But whatever you have to do, you have to keep moving forward. It was the arc of justice is long, but it, oh, what is it? It's the, but it bends towards justice. I said it out of order. Mine is actually the same as Terrence, but I will say that my reasoning behind it is that basically what he's saying is keep on pushing. My favorite quote is, it's another one that I used in another one of my speeches. Uh, I believe it goes, we must accept finite disappointment, but never lose infinite hope. Coming up, a conversation with Rebecca Revels-Lowry, 20 years after resigning her crown as Miss North Carolina. You're listening to Do South. (laughs) 
Welcome back to Due South. I'm Leonida Inge. More than 20 years ago, Rebecca Revels was crowned Miss North Carolina 2002. I smiled when I saw and heard the news reports. It's rare to see beauty queens of color. Rebecca Revels is lumby, and I was in awe. So were many other people. She wowed the judges throughout the Miss North Carolina contest. Here to perform Puccini's aria La Conza di Doretta, we have Miss Fayetteville, Rebecca Revels. Here is contestant number three, Miss Fayetteville. Rebecca Revels, born and raised in Robeson County, was living her dream. I will tell you, that whole week at Miss North Carolina, from the beginning to the end, I had just this sense of um, like an outer body experience. I I know that sounds kind of crazy, but um, that was meant to be there in that moment. I mean, it worked for a year. I had a whole year to prepare. Miss Fayetteville was early in the season, so I had the entire year to prepare. And when I tell you I prepared every single day, of my life for, and I don't know if that's good or, I don't know if that's healthy or not, (laughs) when I think back. One of these two ladies is about to be crowned Miss North Carolina. The other will be our first runner-up and the recipient of a $3,500 scholarship. Tonight's first runner-up, Misty Climber, Miss Western Piedmont, Rebecca Revels is your new Miss North Carolina. Rebecca Revels was on her way to represent North Carolina in the Miss America pageant, but soon after Rebecca's big win, her life would begin to crumble. An ex-boyfriend sent an email to the Miss America organization saying he had two photos of Rebecca that he had taken of her when she was topless. Rebecca said she was forced to resign her Miss North Carolina crown, and a state pageant official later testified that she was told she would have to resign or be fired for violating the morality clause in her contract. Lawsuits followed to attempt to get her reinstated, but now it was September, the Miss America competition was starting, and the matter had not been settled. So both Rebecca and the first runner-up arrived for duty in Atlantic City. Every single thing that we went to, they had to, Miss North Carolina, Rebecca Revels, Miss North Carolina, Missy Climber. It was horrible. It was just a bad, but my lawyer said, you've got to do this. You've got to prove this point. And they were, uh, most of the contestants were very vocal about me specifically, Miss California. I'll never, I'm going to call her out. (laughs) She basically said, we do not want you here. We wish you would leave. There was probably a couple of them that were kind. But I remember I had a, a reporter came to meet with me from I don't know what station. And I started crying in the interview. And he said, are you OK? I said, no, I want I want to leave. And, of course, I didn't. I pulled myself together and put on my lipstick, you know, that kind of stuff. But I was just over it. And I remember doing a Good Morning America interview after the pageant was over. And I had on this bright orange suit and my hair was done. I had my makeup on. And they were like, why do you look so happy? I said, because I'm leaving. I'm going home. (laughs) I don't want to be here. I'm tired of this nonsense. I want to go home. And that's what happened. In the end, the court ruling was not in her favor, and Rebecca did not get to compete in the Miss America pageant. But one thing she holds on to dearly, the fact that she was officially crowned Miss North Carolina. I won the pageant. I competed really with a bunch of wonderful women, but I did come out on top, and I think that's something to 
celebrate. And so, yes, yeah. I do consider myself former Miss North Carolina, Miss North Carolina 2002. I was crowned and named. I still have the crown. So, absolutely, yes, ma'am. <laughs> I do consider myself that. Well, today um, you live, I'm assuming, in Pembroke. I know mm-hmm. you work at the University mm-hmm. of North Carolina, Pembroke. Right. And I know you went to undergrad um, there, for example. But I guess back to being a, a child pageant star. Mm-hmm. I mean, so at age two, you started competing in pageants. Did you love that? I don't really remember, to be quite honest with you. So I'll tell you the the backstory. So pageantry when I was two, I mean, that's what, 43 years ago until I'm my age, but uh, was not the same as what you see now. It's certainly totally changed, but I was severely shy as a little girl. Most people don't believe that, but I was. And so my mother had a best friend whose daughter competed quite a bit and we traveled with them and watched them compete. And she decided one day, she said, well, I think I'll put Rebecca in the pageant. And I remember being on the stage vaguely. I see the pictures But pageantry for me allowed me to be comfortable in front of an audience. And on the stage, there's there's a different sense of confidence when you're on the stage because you have that invisible wall and you can become a character or you can become anything that you want to be on the stage and you're protected by that unseen veil. And so, yes, I did like it. So were those early pageants and competitions, um, were they before you know, your native Lumbee audiences at first and then grew? There were a lot of girls in the area, in Robinson County, who competed with me. We grew up competing in pageants, but oftentimes when we would go away from the county, we were the only natives. Um, And so the only time that I competed in front of the Lumbee Nation would have been for Junior Miss Lumbee. That would have been my first time competing in front of my tribe, tribally specific pageant, and then later on as Miss Lumbee. But oftentimes... um, for example, when I won Miss North Carolina, I was the only Native American woman in the, in the entire pageant. And actually, there was only, my roommate, or not my roommate, one of my best friends from that experience, Ebony, she was the only African American woman in the pageant. So there were just two women of color, even in 2002. In 2002. Mm-hmm. So, uh, one thing I've been trying to, as I go through the website, mm-hmm. you know, for the North Carolina pageant, you know, the one that's officially recognized to right. go on to the Miss America pageant. Like, I can't find you. I'm not there. They're there. So what you'll see is, and I don't often go back, but when I do, it'll ha- there should just be a placeholder for that particular year. They don't even recognize, to my knowledge, the first runner-up who they did crown Miss North Carolina after me. But from my understanding, they don't recognize anyone, which I think is really sad that we're still at this point where, I mean, even if they recognized her, it would so be better you, than nothing. I know. And when you think over 20 years ago, you know, mm-hmm. I, that, that's when I, I moved to North Carolina in mm-hmm. 2001. That's why I remember this pageant mm-hmm. so well. Right. I said, wow, a state that was that inclusive was right. a state that I wanted to live in. And then, as they say, the shiggity hit the fan. <laughs> I mean, I, I just couldn't believe it. it would, we'll yeah. call it tragedy. No, yeah, I think about it. Uh, coming up today, driving up, I had to take a minute and just sort of kind of settle into myself because as the years progress, right, you learn how to cope with things and deal with things. But every now and then you'll get some of those emotions that come back that are pretty raw. So I have to kind of process. And I was used to talking about it um, a lot. I'm pretty much an open book. But most often I think about it during the time 
of the competition. So typically that's in June for Miss North Carolina. Right. And then Miss America follows. And so you'll see all the posts um, on social media. Oftentimes there are women who are competing that I've coached or that I know. Um, I have been back to the pageant a couple of times. Um, I was invited by the former executive director, Beth Knox, who actually was my business manager when I won. And she and I stayed really good friends. And when she became the director, she called me immediately and she said, I want you, they invite all the former Miss North Carolinas back and they honor them on stage. But I'll tell you the kicker. She invited me back and she said, I'm going to give you the tickets for the whole week. You know, bring your, whomever you want to guest, but you can't come on stage to be recognized. And it was, that was really tough for me, but I had a friend of mine competing that year. So the pageant, they still haven't apologized to you. No, not at all. Beth probably made the biggest gesture she's no longer the director, um, to make it right. My children can access anything, right? Google. <laughs> I wonder what have they read about their mom? I don't, I don't know if my son probably has. My, my mom kind of tapers it sometimes if they ask questions. But they know I was Miss North Carolina. I do have a, a portrait up in the house um, when I was first crowned. I don't know when I'm going to approach that topic just yet. They're only 10 and 7. So they're a little young, but eventually, um, maybe. I'm Leonita Inge, and this is Due South, and I'm talking with Dr. Rebecca Revels-Lowry, Director of Alumni Affairs at UNC Pembroke, and our former Miss North Carolina 2002. I have to ask you, because I'm not sure if they've been any other Native American, American Indian, or even Lumbee um, Miss North Carolinas in these 20 years. There has been, actually. Oh. Mm-hmm. Before me, actually, Lorna McNeil was in 2000, um, and she's Lorna McNeil uh, Ricotta. She lives in Fayetteville now. Uh, one of my sorority sisters, actually. And then Jonna Edmonds, and um, she was after me, so there's three of us who have won. And then um, she wasn't a Miss North Carolina, but she's Lumbee from the Lumbee tribe. Um, excuse me, she was Miss North Carolina. She went on to get second runner-up at um, Miss America. Miss America, mm-hmm. yeah. So there have been a trickling of us <laughs> for maybe four. Are you grooming um, young ladies for the pageant? I mean, do you, I mean, I'm not sure if you have a bitter taste for that pageant or for pageantry altogether now. So I look at the pageant industry as a whole differently now that I'm older and can take a step back. So it, it's twofold. It can be really, really detrimental to you as a, as a woman. I'm just being sincere and honest. Um, or it could be very uplifting as well. It could be both. And oftentimes I do coach young women, uh, more, more so for the Lumbee pageants now. But yes, I've coached a, a former Miss North Carolina, um, Victoria Huggins. Um, and I love the aspect of building young women and building confidence in them, m- not so much for the pageantry aspect. Because when you're interviewing, uh, those are really tough interviews that you go through. Public speaking, having a platform that you stand for, all of those are life lessons. So you have to sort of balance it out. Um, I did for a while have a bitterness toward specifically the Miss America organization and, and their treatment of women because I was there. I experienced it um, and then had time to reflect on it after and then having a daughter now. I was wondering if you're going to let her be in pageants. So it's funny you say that. I really want her to be a soccer star. <laughs> she loves soccer. She has competed her best friend, Mariah, competes, and she said, I would really like to do a pageant. 
So the first one we did was a very um, small, natural pageant that had a lot of uh, community service ties to it. So we raised awareness for um, dementia and things of that nature. And then she asked me again, and she said, I want to compete again. And I'm thinking, man, why do you want to do these pageants? But uh, So she's done two or three, and uh, she likes it. We went to one. She didn't win anything, and she was hurt. She was five at the time. And I, as a mom, it really bothered me. And so we had a talk, and I said, you know, this is not, you can't base any of this on who you are. And I mean, she's five, you know, so I'm trying to (laughs) explain it. And she just looked at me. She said, I was sad a little bit, but I'm good now. And that was the end of it. She went to play. So we'll see. Well, how do you think things would have played out if what happened to you in 2002 happened Mm. in 2023? Because Mm. I don't, what I don't remember I remember, you know, ex-boyfriend having, mm-hmm. uh, saying he had photos of you just right. getting dressed and he was going to mm-hmm. reveal them. But were those photos ever revealed? They were never revealed. How it, They were turned over to my attorney. And to be quite honest with you, I haven't seen them since college. So no, they were never revealed, not to the public or to reporters or anything. There was a threat of that, but it never happened. I can't even imagine how you felt and how you handled that situation at 24 years old? Well, to answer your first question about right. if it happened now. Today. Depends on who's over with the Miss America organization, but I feel like if that were to happen now, they would rally for and advocate for the Miss North Carolina, the woman who's being perpetrated. I, you know, I think that they would rally against him. I think that she would have been allowed to compete and he would have been his feet held to the fire as they should have been. I, that's my hope anyway, that these false, well, they weren't false accusations, but the accusations that he made um, clearly were to hurt me and to diminish everything that I'd worked for, that he knew I'd worked for. I dated the guy for three years. He knew my, my desires to be Miss America one day. So I would hope and pray that they would advocate for her. I just don't think it would have happened now. I just can't imagine it happening now. But even after photos were revealed, you know, we have to think of, I remember when Vanessa Williams became Mm -hmm. Miss America, and I remember when they took her crown, Mm -hmm. but I remember when they apologized to her. You have lived your life in grace and dignity, and never was it more evident than during the events of 1984 when you resigned. Though none of us currently in the organization were involved then, On behalf of today's organization, I want to apologize to you and to your mother, Miss Helen Williams. I want to apologize for anything that was said or done that made you feel any less the Miss America you are and the Miss America you always will be. How did you feel when they apologized to Vanessa Williams? Well, I'll I'll say this, and I I thought about this. Vanessa, we're similar, super similar in in a sense, but she didn't sue Miss America. Ah. You know, so (laughs) that might be why. You sued them to be present, you know, at the pageant. Yes, and with Vanessa, I don't think she fought them taking her crown. Um, I got so many messages and so many 
people were posting and saying, Rebecca, your time's going to come. And, and I do hope one day that they will acknowledge me, but I think too, they're always in the back of their mind. They're thinking, well, you know, she took us to court, but I did what I thought was the right thing to do and what, what my attorney thought was the right thing to do. So that inevitably landed us in, in court, you know. Do you think you were, um, treated the way you were because of the color of your skin? I think that had a lot to do with it. I, in the moment, I couldn't see that. I couldn't see everything that was happening around me, nor could my parents. My parents went into fight or flight mode and they wanted to protect me. And I don't know if you remember, I, we wrote a letter to the media to say that I was resigning. Well, my mom and I wrote that letter together. She just wanted to protect me. We were scared. We didn't know what to do. We were told I couldn't compete. They basically told me they didn't want me, literally. That came out of the director's mouth. And so I think in hindsight, I think back to how I was treated. I just don't know if, if I wasn't Native, if I would have been treated that way. I think it would have panned out a bit differently. I guess when I think of today mm -hmm. and your career, you know, at UNC Pembroke and you're, you're in your community, mm -hmm. um, I don't know if people walk up to you and say, hey, Miss North Carolina. Sometimes. Do they? <laughs> Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> but tell, tell, tell us a little bit about what you do today and what, you know, what makes you happy? What do you focus on in life? So uh, what I do is I work every day with the wonderful graduates of UNC Pembroke, of which I am. You mentioned that earlier. I got my master's and my bachelor's there. My mom got her master's there. And UNC Pembroke is so... Um, unique and impactful in our community. I raise money for scholarships and every day is a different day. So there's something special about being there and being surrounded by people who the majority of them have always supported my journey and being there and being surrounded by that, it, it feels really good. And specifically with my children, having them there in the Pembroke community. Um, I'm not from Pembroke, but they're very welcoming. They're, they're loving. I feel like I, I'm part of the community now. And I love that. I love uh, being a mother. I told somebody it's probably the best decision I ever made. It's so fulfilling, and I, I'm not great at it every day, I tell you that, but <laughs> it's such a great journey to watch those little humans grow. I'm really involved with my church. I love my faith, and I love my church family, and uh, I'm really close to my mom and dad and my, my siblings. And so that really makes me tick, um, those types of things, and that's what's really most important. Do you still sing? I, yeah. I, re I mean, you were singing <laughs> opera. Um, you know, that's what, you know, I like to say how you won the Miss North right. Carolina pageant. I do still sing. I love music. Uh, it's part of who I am. Um, I had the opportunity to sing quite a bit after, well, before and after Miss North Carolina. I, I still sing with my church, but I sing in shows. I get asked to sing at different appearances. I, I'm going to sing until I can't sing anymore, I suppose. Yeah, but I, lo I love it. Yeah. Well, Dr. Rebecca Revels-Lowry, thank you so much for being here. Um, Rebecca Revels, how I remember her before the Lowry, is Miss North Carolina 2002. Today, she's Director of Alumni Affairs at UNC Pembroke. And then she's a mother. She loves her alma mater and her community down in Robinson County. Thank you very much for being here. My pleasure. Thank you. Coming up. My co-host Jeff DeBerry and I chat with standout track and field athlete Erica Charles and learn more about the obstacles that have helped her thrive and compete. You're listening to Do South on WUNC. 
Welcome back to Do South on WUNC. I'm Leonita Inge. And I'm Jeff Tabiri. When we walked into our studio to interview our next guest, she was dressed almost completely in blue. I know, blue shirt, blue bandana, blue nails. Erica Charles told us that she sometimes even dyes her hair blue on meet days to show spirit for her team at Durham School of the Arts. That's where Erica coaches middle school cross country. That was Erica and her Durham School of the Arts cross-country team before a meet last season. Erica said she also wears all that blue for another reason, autism awareness. Erica is on the autism spectrum. Her Instagram, Run Erica Run, is full of hashtags like Autism Speaks, Autism Runs, Autism Strong, Run for Autism. Erica was a track star in high school, earning a scholarship to East Carolina University. Unfortunately, her college career didn't go nearly as well And the disappointment almost made her hang up her running shoes. But after losing her beloved uncle, NC State basketball champion Lorenzo Charles, Erica redirected herself to pursuing her dreams. Now, at 34 years old, she's running her best times yet. Well, Erica Charles, welcome to Do South. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You know, um, you have a lot going on in your life, young lady. Um, Tell me about all the different, I guess, identities of Erica Charles, like who you are. So you run and you teach others to run. Yes, that's pretty much me. I'm a middle distance track athlete specializing in the 800 meters and I run the 400 meters for speed work and sometimes the mile for strength work. And while while also in training, on top of that, I, I take the time to go out to Durham School of the Arts and teach and coach um, young athletes athletes to become successful athletes like myself, if that's the route they want to go to, or pretty much just learn what the sport is like, having fun, if this is something they may want to pursue in the future as they grow up, then and then, then that's it. Let's chat a little bit about your upbringing. Uh, have you always loved to run? Uh, did it start later in life? T- tell us about where the love to run comes from. Love to run anywhere I went. I was running around circles, around a round table, that's pretty much how I end up like in curbs on the track because uh-huh. <laughs> that's where I started from. And actually how I picked up running in general was my gym teacher in middle school. Her name is um, Coach Cheryl Bowden, who's actually still um, the track coach at Durham School of the Arts. So she actually asked me to come join her track team in middle school because in her gym class, after we would do our dynamic stretches and drills, and she would send us upstairs to run around the bleachers, just just casual run, mm-hmm. jog. She'll say two laps around, but for me, instead of a casual jog, I literally sprinted, mm-hmm. sprinted, and then occasionally um, she would she would always used to hold me back a little bit when we had, when it was time for us to go upstairs. She'd say, "Wait, Erica, hold on, let them go first, and then when when I let you know, give you a signal, you can go up." And so she said, "All right, you can go now." And so her challenge was to see if I could catch the entire class wow. class within two laps, <laughs> even with giving them the head start, and I end up doing that. And that's when she said. Oh, you're coming out for my team. You're really fast, fast, and I want you to join my track team. And and that's how I started. I joined her team in the eighth grade. I love it. And I just fell in love with it since from Coach Bowden introducing me to the sport of track and field, and then her also her coaching as well. 
And that's how I had looked up to how she inspired me to want to be a coach that I am now. Yeah. So I've looked to her. I looked to her guidance. She was like my mentor and she still is now. So I looked, I looked up to her and that's where it went. So that's an early on story. I'm wondering if you'll tell us a little bit about your high school career. What moments uh, stand out, if any uh, stand out in particular? I would say my biggest standout, my running career in high school was my senior year actually when I won the 500 meter indoor state title. That was the biggest moment for me because it was actually my only individual state title. And that meant so much more to me and how I actually enjoyed the 500 meter distance in general. That's just really what stood out to me the most. How many laps is that inside? Is that like um, two and a half? Two and a half. Okay. So, okay. so yeah, two and a half, and so that's that's basically what it was. That was my biggest moment. When I think about um, your career, and you mentioned middle school and then through high school, and you're such a sprinter, like why not run the hundred? Why are you in cross country? You know, you're <laughs> running the four hundreds, the eight hundreds. You know, um, what made you choose? How did you choose? I started out as a sprinter in middle school. And the reason why the reason why I actually moved up to like the 800 and above and well speaking of cross country I'll go back to high school I actually started out doing cross country in the 10th grade because my track coach wanted me me to run that run to participate in in cross country to get in shape for track so say he said that um oh you'll build your endurance and stamina for the 400 mm. so, so that was like my main reason for joining in beginning it was a little rocky trying to get used to the whole pacing pacing. And remember, you don't just go sprinting from the gun. We're talking with Erica Charles, middle school cross-country coach and a master's track champion who is training for the Olympic trials. We asked her about the transition from high school to college at East Carolina University. Academic-wise, I was happy with the major I chose, sports studies, minor communication studies. So I was happy with, with decisions. I enjoyed my professors. They were very warm and laid back and understanding and standing. And like I said, I was good. Loved the campus itself. So social was always a challenge for me. Yeah. But somehow the environment, the kids there, the relaxing, warm, laid back, not really pushing you to to want to, to communicate. It just came naturally. That that was well. That was well for me. So definitely no regrets attending the school. Definitely no. <laughs> I'm really I'm really ha- I'm really happy. Happy to important. I'm actually getting my second degree actually wow. online. Congratulations. Online. Thank you. And only thing was the challenge was um, being on the ECU track team. Yeah. That was like the challenge right there. Unpack for us what some of the challenges were about being on the track team because I was not a college athlete. I did not have those talents. Um, was it the training? Was it the commitment, the time crunch? What was it that was hard about running at ECU? Mostly the social support. Mm. Port. It was not as big as I received in high school. Mm school high school and when you ask me about the community yeah and all that as I mentioned how my love for it like to social support from teammates coaches teachers yeah and classmates whoever seeing me through the hallways or they hear on the announcements pretty much that was a little bit of the the lack and and I did try to fit in yeah. so, I, so I try my best you know let's just make this work yeah see me if I may if I do my part let me let me just step out my shell try to reach out mm-hmm. then possibly it yeah. could but Still um, not as successful as I liked. And I mean, it's not just the whole team in general. Like, like I would say the probably the only biggest social support I did receive was from mostly the distance side. So right. I, the people, the girls and boys who did cross country and distance yeah. received it more from them. And then, but just trained as a sprinter because that was my main dad winning as a 400 meter specialist. 
So only thing was just um, lack in there. And let me just say the 400 meter and the 800 meter, these are races for people who have lost, you know, just they're the, it, it's just wild. Like these yeah. are the hardest races. It's not a hundred meter. It's not, a, it's not a mile. Like the no. 400 and 800, the middle distance is brutal. It's just yes. brutal. Yeah. Lenita, what do you got? Well, I just want to know how does she keep getting faster and faster? <laughs> I mean, you know, at 34 years old, um, do you consider yourself running the best that you've ever run? Surprisingly, yes. Surprisingly, I'm actually more stronger now than I was, let's say, maybe college, definitely college and a little bit in my 20s. It got better in my 20s where um, after I graduated, I I started off with, you know, I started just training myself and realized how I stepped up to the 800 meters because I thought it'd be easier to train yourself in a middle distance versus sprints where you is more technical. You, You do need somebody to watch you, make what your mechanics are on point, and, and so forth. Wise. Distance-wise, you can pretty much condition yourself, keep yourself accountable with doing what you have to be more disciplined. So I ended up coaching myself for maybe like roughly around the 2012, 2013 year. And then, then I received a coach where I was even coaching from kind of long distance, distance for a good while. And then the coach who I have right now, Currently, and he's actually like one of the best I've had so far was um, Coach George Williams, where he actually brought me out. Wow. <laughs> Big time where he actually he actually helped me to, in- to increase my speed where I thought I didn't have the speed anymore. But he fixed that. I was about to say, you are you using muscles you never <laughs> even used yeah. before? Yes. So so tell me about um, your training regimen now. And you're training for the Olympic trials. Yes. Tell me more about that. So with my training regimen, like I said, I was coaching cross country with the middle school this this season. I was spending time, like before I, I see them in the afternoons, in the mornings, I would go on my casual long runs just to build my cardio, my base. Do you eat five eggs and all that? And, no, you know, I hear whites. about the protein. Only egg whites. Egg, egg whites, <laughs> oh, rather. <laughs> oh, no egg whites to me. No, I scramble. <laughs> I scramble. So well, I'm pretty much open, but. Like I'm still, I'm still particular what I eat though. Mm-hmm. So I do watch out for sugary foods and anything that's that's not going to be beneficial for my running in performance. Mm-hmm. But so so that that's that was makes my training. And then now I'm on the track in the mornings where workouts considered more like speed endurance stuff. So just working on getting my legs turned over after logging miles for roughly almost two to three months. Months was time. Let's get the wheel spinning. As my coach would say, get the wheel spin, let's, let's turn them over. So that's pretty much consists of, and I'm usually there Mondays through Thursdays on the track. So that's my regimen. And then I'll do some lifting and then some pyo, some Pilates and yoga as my cross training to, to still keep my body fit and ready for any hard workouts my coach would throw at me. Wow, I'm jealous. Mondays and Thursdays <laughs> on the track right now. She's here on Due South. Her name is Erica Charles. She was a track star in high school. She's a Duramite, uh, ran as well for a little while at East Carolina University. She has Olympic dreams. She's also a, a master's track competitor. And Erica, I understand you've got an uncle, a late uncle, who I think many of our listeners will be familiar with, Lorenzo Charles, who was a member, of course, of the, the Cardiac Pack. NC State 1983 National Championship Basketball Team. You were really close with your uncle. He passed away in 2011, and that was about the time as you were graduating. And I'm wondering if you'll take us through that part of your journey. Um, How hard was that, losing your uncle? And uh, how did that shape or motivate you into this chapter of your running experience? 
it was definitely emotional when I lost him because he was basically like the father figure in my life who I looked up to, who was definitely really close to. So yes, I thought him was my uncle, but what motivated me to even keep running in general was the fact that, that I'm going to miss with him was the fact that he still supported me in sports and with track, especially if he had to. The biggest thing that really set with my heart is the fact that, you know, I understood he had to work so he couldn't always make my track meets, but he would take the time. Even just for maybe, let's say if I ran 100 meters, all it would take was like 12 seconds to see me and, and the, or the 225 seconds. That's all it took for him to be in the stands and see me. And then, then that set with my heart and he would, he would text me saying, Sorry, hey, Pumpkin, um, had to go to work, but I saw your whole race. Good job. I'm proud of you. I love you, and I'll call you soon. So that support, that's what really set with me is the fact that I had to make it worthwhile, make a good race because, like I say, he's, take up, he's taking time, the little time he has in between work to come and see me, so I got to give him a show, give him something he can be proud of, make, make him say, like, okay, I took off, this is the reason I took off work for a, re- for a reason. So it was definitely worth it. And even if I couldn't see him immediately after, I understood that he had to leave. And so that was my big support with him. And the fact that, you know, he, he passed like that and out of surprise, right after I called him on Father's Day, I wished him, wished him. And then the fact he said that, you know, oh, I'll see you soon when you get out of school. And I was like, okay. And the fact that that didn't happen. And so even with his passing, that really motivated me big to at least um, go out there and see what I have because I thought, well, life is too short. He passed. Let's see if I still have it. Like I said, I didn't like my college career wasn't wasn't as successful as I'd like it to be. So that that didn't mean that I needed to give up and hang up the spikes. Just you know, give it one more shot to see what I had. And sure enough, with all the improvements I've been doing, it was it was worth it. And I still I still think about him in my heart as I'm as I'm racing as well. Do you find yourself having to be that supportive person for the middle school students that you coach at DSA? I mean, um, I'm sure they um, they look to you because I'm telling you, when I see the little ones like that running cross country, it looks so hard. I feel so sorry for them. I'm like, can they make it? Are they going to fall out? You know, so, so tell me about you being a support system and a coach. That's got to be enjoyable right now. Um, yes, it is. Um, that's that's the biggest one is they they look to me for that support, especially before before races, right, right before they're looking at me like, oh, like you said, do you think I'm going to finish it? <laughs> Am I going to make it around? And I assured them that, yes, you will. And so instead of just yelling, I give them, I talk to them in a positive, calm manner and tell them that, you know, you got this. I'm proud of, proud of each and every one of you. And I tell them the good stuff I've seen them doing practice. So as a way to build their confidence. Uh, and that's how they go out there, even from not just the top runners, but even the runners who are not at the top. So it's like everybody from top to bottom, everyone gets built up. Everybody gets that individual attention and coaching from me. Wow. And does being a, a coach make you a better runner? It does, actually, because I think about, look at the advice and the coach terms you're giving to my athletes. So I need to apply that to myself as well as an athlete. And, and the fact that their performances are actually moving me to push in practice and then wanting, wanting to be a better athlete myself. I have a nephew who is 16 now. Uh, he is on the autism spectrum disorder, and school has been uh, it's gotten a lot better for him. Uh, it was really challenging at times when he was younger. And I know that for him, he's running cross country and it has provided this incredible sense of community and place and friendship and competitiveness. And he, he like, he's found one of his paths and it's wonderful. Like it's wonderful to see and read about. You are a little bit uh, further along in that path, but you jumped into the annals of being a coach. And I can't help but think about middle schoolers. I think about how obnoxious I was as a middle schooler and they can be a little challenging 
What are the kids like as you lead them, as you coach them, as you give them your, your skills and your knowledge? As you mentioned, as middle school, yes, their um, they're in, they're energies, their energies, their their attention spans are are wild and wild, and I've actually learned how to match their energy as a coach. So instead of just yelling and screaming, screaming, I learned to balance to have a little fun with them, play with them along while still giving them them orders of what they have to do as far as in the drills, warm ups, and then in the workouts. So they basically picked that up, and straight up, it was just a connection. Just oh. Okay, you know, they see, oh, Coach, Coach, Coach Erica is, is fun for she wants to have fun. So we'll have fun too. And at the same time, we'll work as well. Yeah. Well, Erica Charles, it's been a pleasure actually hearing you. I think you let Jeff and I both know how out of shape we are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what we Join mean. me on a trail run anytime. I think I've seen Erica at the Duke Wall actually. Yeah. I was walking slow, holding my knee, and mm. she was running. Mm. I, <laughs> she, was, she was passing by everybody, but she looks so familiar. But congratulations in advance, you know, with your working towards the Olympic trials. And I'm sure there are a lot of young middle school kids cheering you on right now. So, But we are cheering you on right now. So thank you for joining us on Do South. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Erica's next big race is later this month at the Camel City Invitational in Winston-Salem. I'm Jeff Tabiri. And I'm Leonita Inge. This is Due South on WUNC. 